thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 404, where we find things, recorded live April 8th, 2021. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy application experience for your customers? With Raygun application performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. With Raygun, monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify and resolve issues, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers, saving you time, money, and sanity. I've personally used Raygun and Hyperfish for the last four years to help me sleep better at night knowing the customers we've worked so hard to get are having a great experience. We use Raygun to alert engineers proactively so that we can be the ones to tell customers when we've fixed the problem instead of them calling us to say something's wrong. Raygun.com is my secret weapon in shipping high-quality code. Check it out at raygun.com and get up and running in minutes. Back to the show. You there, AC? Be there, I see. Oh, hey, sorry, I had to find myself. <laughs> How you doing? How's it? Doing good. How are you? You know, normally people have to go on world travels to find themselves. I'm not sure what you were up to at that end of the uh, Zoom call. Oh, yeah, nothing. <laughs> Just trying to make the 404 sound uh, be a little more authentic. Although it's kind of ironic because we're not really. <laughs> we're, we're, we're here. We found stuff, actually. And we got some cool little theme today, too. Yes. Strangely enough, this has been a week of finding things, as it turns out. So um, <laughs> how have you been, anyway? You know what? Actually, I got something that will stick to the 404. It's a very tragic 404. I'm not looking forward to this. Oh, no. <laughs> so I am about to embark on refreshing my SharePoint framework course. There's a I got about 70 punch list item of things I need to go back and, re- and like address in the content. Mm-hmm. And... When I recorded all the content, I kept all the original source files. I don't keep them with the actual project. I put them on my NAS because they're they're media files, camera files, video, screencasts, yep. audio. They're huge. And uh, I have my NAS to back up to Azure Storage once a week. And I know everything was working about six months ago or Uh-oh. back in June of last year. And yesterday I was doing some updates to my other course and I was like, ah, cool, you know, so let me go grab some files, pull them over because I need to just make a change to one of the lessons, but I need all the source files there when I re-render it. And I just happened to click on the other folder for my SharePoint framework course and there were 20 files in the folder. There should be like 300. So I'm like, huh, oh dear. I wonder, I wonder how that happened. I'm like, well, at least I got a backup. I have 20 files in my backup. And I know for a fact that everything was there in June of last year because that's when I did the last big refresh to the course. And I know that I saw everything when I dropped it in. So either, and there's no retention policy set up 
because all of the other folders have all the old stuff. Like it's one folder that has, like I I take, I record everything, I put it in a drop folder. And then from there I do some processing to it. And then I put them in a thing called assets for that course. The drop folder still has all of the original stuff, like the raw record, raw audio recordings that I send to my audio guy to clean up. And, but the stuff that was processed in that assets folder, there's only 20 things in there. So if it was a retention policy thing, then I, both of them should be missing stuff, but they're not. So the only thing that I can think is that somehow my NAS has decided, either through my stupidity and my mistake, that I've deleted about 270 files that were then deleted from backup because apparently that's what I wanted to do automatically, or something else has happened. So I am about to... Once I do, I'm getting ready to do a, like a big refresh to my exam prep course that I'm going to, it'll be out and announced by the time this episode comes out. But I fear that this weekend, this coming weekend is going to be me learning how to read logs in Azure storage to see when something was deleted. So we're, if I can track something down. Gotcha. I have an epic 404. And all it means is that it's not the end of the world because I just have to go back and the video I was going to edit, I have to re-record it. Problem is... That course is like 35 hours long, <laughs> so I'm fearful. Oh, dear. Yeah, gotcha. Well, good hunting. I hope you find it somewhere. Yeah, me too. Me too. I hope it's just a 302 or a 301 and not a 404. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you shifted them around somewhere, like a like an accidental copy-paste. Or, uh, you know, you know when you accidentally select some stuff and move them into another folder and amongst a whole bunch of folders, and you're like, I'm not sure which one I've dropped it in. <laughs> Have you ever had that? I have had that. And that's one of the things I was scared of. But I would have thought that I would have noticed if I did something like that because it's like a couple hundred gigabytes. And yeah, it wouldn't have just a, been like, it wouldn't have no. snapped. Been done and it's on it. a RAID 5 NAS. So it's like, it ain't blazingly fast here. That's <laughs> on an ARM chip, right? So it's like, this ain't going to be really fast, but... Fair enough. What you been up to? Not too much, actually, this week. We've got a kid that's going back to school for the first time in 390 days. Who's counting? Yeah, it's like 394, I think. <laughs> So, um, you are, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, Vicky asked our Alexa, she was like, How many days ago was you know such and such a date? And then she was like, 393 or something, and that was yesterday. So, mm. yeah, so, um, that's a bit of a change for us. We're, um, dealing with a bit of kid conundrums and things like that amongst work and bits and pieces. And I'm slowly trying to get on top of my lawn again this year, which I have a pick for later in the show. I am curious to see. I saw you post something on Facebook today. I saw the link in the show notes. I'm like, I wanted to ask him about this. So Yeah, you know how I go geek out on things that, you know, it lasts a while and I forget about it. Yep. I still have my my like of clear ice, but I'm not spending nearly as much time on clear ice these days. And now I'm spending on on lawns. So mm. anyway, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I've got a pick later on that. Cool. You say you're geeking out on it. I geeked out on some stuff this weekend myself. Not the 404 stuff, but... Oh, really? My son's first car is a 14-year-old Toyota Highlander. Gotcha. We put a stereo in a couple weeks ago. That was fun. Yeah. So this weekend, I started putting in a backup camera, which is very simple how it works. I was surprised. It's $25, and it hooks up to the to the, to the stereo. Huh. You basically tap into the reverse light on one of the taillights, and when, that, when the car throws in reverse, that's what powers... The camera. Gotcha. And it's in, it's just a standard like yellow RCA video cable that goes between the camera and the head unit and the stereo. Right. But in that wire, there's another little like trip wire that they add on the, on the outside of it. You hook that up to the um, reverse light and then you hook that same wire up to a trip wire that hangs off the back of the stereo so that when the car goes into reverse, 
not only does the camera get powered, but it tells the, the head unit, hey, flip over to the camera view. So when you put it back in drive or park, it's like, oh, no power? Switch back to the normal stereo view. Oh, that's clever. So for the first time ever, I was pulling off panels, interior panels to a car, tapping into car electronics, coming to find out I didn't have what I needed. So I now have a brand new pack of butt splicers and alligator clips and about 20 feet of red and black wire using my multimeter. How many trips to Home Depot did it include? (laughs) None. One order to Amazon. Oh, nicely done. (laughs) Most of my projects take at least three trips. Well, okay, cards on the table. The camera's not still hooked up yet. All the wires are done. All I've gotten is the taillight fixed. We found that we didn't realize the taillight was out, so the taillight's fixed. All those things I just mentioned, they're all sitting on my toolbox in the garage because they showed up today. So Uh, that might be tonight. So So you don't realize what you're missing yet. Got it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm missing a car right now. I don't (laughs) The car's been gone for like a day. (laughs) Classic, classic. Yeah. Nice. Well, how about we get into some news? We've got some good finds this week, speaking of 404. So uh, let's jump into it. This episode is sponsored by Avpoint. If you like the cloud show, you will love the Shift Happens podcast with Microsoft MVP and regional director, Dux Raymond Sai. Each week, Dux talks with one of the industry's brightest stars about their most challenging modern workplace or digital transformation projects. He uncovers the players, organizational hurdles, and last-minute surprises that inevitably arise when ambitious people try to impact their workplace. Season 1 features FedEx, Wells Fargo, Heathrow Airport, United Airlines, and other industry leaders. Go to www.avpoint.com forward slash blog forward slash shift happens or search for the hashtag shift happens that's one word hashtag shift happens wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe today and now back to the show all right we've got a good plethora of news some interesting stuff this week actually we've got some uh, news about microsoft events we've got some azure news and we've got some updates on the world of going on in java land so um Do you want to lead us off with something? Sure. I think the first thing that we want to start with is to reverse our 404 theme today. Mm. Microsoft has announced the Build 2021 conference is going to be at the end of May 2021. So instead of losing things, we are building. They have found Build again. They found Build. And it's going to be another virtual event. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, for some reason, I'm very... I don't know why I say for some reason, but I'm hopeful and more optimistic that there's a lot of stuff coming from Azure, from the Azure world. Hmm. I don't have any reason why to say that other than just like, I got a good feeling. You got a feeling? Yeah. I got a feeling. Like, I'm like the anti-Han Solo. I want to be excited about Build. I want to get into like some really super geeky, devy things. Me too. I've been writing a bit of code recently and I'm really enjoying it. And um, it just makes me want more goodies mm-hmm. to play with yeah. and look into. Yeah, I have been doing the same thing. I'm just sharing with you before the show, but it's an internal project for my business, and it's also it deals with a lot of Azure architecture stuff and trying to dig in more into additional Azure resources and services. So, wouldn't be surprised if you and me start talking about other Azure services on the podcast as I'm learning more about this. Going, hey, look, now I'm an expert. So let's have an episode about it. <laughs> nice. As of recording this, though, when you go to the mybuild.microsoft.com site, it is essentially a 404 (laughs) because it's the old website. The new build is not found yet. No. But they did announce it on the Microsoft events page. So it's listed on the um, 
on the main Microsoft events page. Yeah. Yeah, the build website is not up to date yet. No, it's kind of funny. It's almost like they've they announced it without intentionally announcing it. And then it's, I guess, what is it? It's like a, was that 302? No, 301. It's like temporarily going to a thank you page. So it's temporarily redirected to online only, maybe. Or is it a permanent redirect? Dun, dun, dun. Who knows? You'll have to stay tuned. Yeah. Tune in next week. Have you ever wanted to put your computer in a big pool of water? (laughs) When it's like a rage day, yes. (laughs) Yeah, right? So Microsoft apparently, well, so if you're into PC building and you follow along with the overclocking community and things like that, this will... Some of the stuff will come as no surprise to you, right? Because like immersion cooling has been a a thing in that world for a while, right? Where you can put your thing that you want to run super fast in an inert liquid or a non-conductive liquid, and it'll run just fine, right? You can, but it's typically pretty messy because it's things like oils and stuff like that. So, anywho, you can put them in that, and that helps keep the chips cooler and all of that sort of stuff. And overclockers do it with um, liquid nitrogen. You know, they'll they'll chill the chips down with liquid nitrogen. Anyway, so Bitcoin miners have been doing this to get better performance out of their mining equipment. And now Microsoft is looking at using immersion cooling for its cloud servers. And I imagine not all of them, like, <laughs> but some specialized workflow, workloads around things like AI and things. Where, where you need these, as good a performance as you can possibly get. So yeah, they're playing around with immersion cooling, and there's an article here that talks about what they're up to and, and what um, Mark Rosinovich has been, has been talking about around it. So yeah, so um, if you can't find your servers, they'll probably be in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> a very cool bathtub. a bit of a stretch. Bathtub. A very cool bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, rather than using air, right? Because air conditioning is pretty costly as well, and, and obviously has only a certain amount of transference of heat from your chips into the air and you've got to blow air past it all the time and things, whereas liquid can be a lot more efficient at that stuff. Yeah, there's a reason why they do... There's a reason why to keep a nuclear power plant cool, they don't use air to do the steam or to... Yeah. ...to spin the turbines and everything, yeah, so... Yep, yeah, exactly. That's a really bad analogy, but that's not at all why they use uh, water. They use... <laughs> Use the water to generate the heat to generate the steam to steam, get the turbines yeah. to go. I may, totally made that up on the fly, and as it was coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I sound like a complete idiot. Like I don't know how this stuff works. Well, they still they also use water for cooling. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story right now, okay? Just use it for both. You're you're not wrong. So yeah. Anyway, servers and water usually don't mix, but it turns out they're useful in some cases. Yes. There you go. Well. Keeping with our build theme and building off your last pick, which talks about trying to keep computers like doing things with, say, crypto mining and stuff like that. Okay. I've got one here that about GitHub and how people are abusing GitHub's infrastructure to do Bitcoin mining. Now, I'm sorry, not Bitcoin, crypto. Let's just cryptocurrency mining. Yeah. I heard this in a talk. I'd heard in some of these exact phrases. I heard these in a talk at an event like last, last week or two. When we did our last show, I was like, this is really interesting. And I almost slipped and said something. And I was like, no, 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 wait, nope, can't talk about that stuff. Well, apparently, it's not exactly private knowledge. It's actually public knowledge. And I got an article here that talks about how GitHub is investigating crypto mining campaigns that are abusing its server infrastructure. So mm. here's what people are doing. So it's a great idea. And it doesn't hurt anybody except for GitHub or I guess it also hurts the project owners that are involved in this if they 
are losing their allocation for their GitHub workflow runtime minutes. So starting about the fall of last year in 2020, GitHub's got this thing called GitHub Workflow or GitHub Actions. And the idea is it's, it's like the equivalent of Azure DevOps. You do it to run CI and CD stuff on your GitHub, your GitHub repos and your GitHub projects. So one of the ways you can do this is that when if you have a project and you accept pull requests, when a pull request is submitted, you could have a workflow get kicked off and have that workflow do some work to like some pre-checks and everything before it actually gets to a certainly like, going through like, some gating functions like you code coverage, unit test, all that kind of stuff. And what some people are doing is they are submitting PRs to public GitHub projects that introduce a new workflow that runs when these PRs are approved. Mm. And once they're approved, what it's doing is every time a new PR is submitted, it's causing what GitHub does is it spins up a virtual machine or uses a virtual machine from a pool to go run all of the stuff for this specific workflow from the pull request. Yeah. And then it shuts itself down, goes back to a ready state. Well, people are using that to get these workflows to spin up and to go install a bunch of stuff to do crypto mining on GitHub's infrastructure and uh, to report it back. GitHub is trying to deal with this. I heard this phrase from somewhere else, but now I'm now I'm reading this straight from this article the, on the record. The article is literally called from, from a website called On the Record. In an email today, GitHub told the record that they are, quote, aware of this activity or actively investigating, end quote, at the same time, they told a French engineer about it last year. And then the article goes on to say, however, the company appears to be playing whack-a-mole with the attacker because just as they register new accounts, the old ones are detected and suspended. So it's kind of like, gotcha. how do we stop this from happening? This is so sneaky. <laughs> so in a nutshell, you're an illicit dude who wants to mine some Bitcoin. So you go find some innocent bystanders, open source projects, you fork their repo, you make some changes to it and add some additional actions. And then you submit a pull request and the automation runs that pull request like it needs to do the build and it needs to run the actions for that build and everything. And one of those actions is do some work, like mine some Bitcoin. And even though it would just be a tiny fraction, you'd think mm-hmm. it all adds up, I guess. Hey, just like Walmart, though. I mean, you make a little bit of a profit, a tiny profit on one item. But if you do it a boatload of times. A bunch of times. Yeah, it adds up. It adds up. This reminds me of the attack that somebody managed to get a piece of JavaScript to execute in the ICO file for a website using a browser exploit. So when your icon, you know the little icon that shows up in the tab at the top of your browser? Yeah. When that loads, they found an exploit in the browser to make the browser or the app, the actual browser app itself, run the JavaScript that was contained inside the ICO file, and that was doing Bitcoin mining. And so you wonder why Chrome is taking up gigs of memory and CPU. It's probably because it's Bitcoin mining. Bingo. <laughs> Might have no found wonder it. Google's making so much money. They've probably got backdoor code and Chrome everywhere, and it's mining Bitcoin on everybody's machines. That's why my browser, that's why my laptop right now, the fan's going crazy. Seriously, though, could you imagine finding something like that. Like imagine if Microsoft had put, an engineer had snuck in some Bitcoin mining into Windows. It's sneaky. It's a great idea. Hundreds of millions of machines. It's so simple. It's so freaking simple. But, and it, yeah, that to do this. Or Microsoft come out and be like, yeah, how do you think we make Windows free now? <laughs> Why do you think we're making so much money? Because we flipped you, we flipped you to Bitcoin mining. 
<laughs> and we're getting paid a little bit on all these vaccines that Bill Gates is getting you to get a shot yeah. in the arm. We're it's getting like five bucks every 40. Exactly. It's like Ask Jeeves is being installed in your shoulder. <laughs> you know, speaking of that, isn't it annoying how Microsoft is pushing every Microsoft site you go to right now, like even any of the doc sites or the graph site, they keep pushing the, the Bing toolbar at the top. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Like in, if you're using Chrome, you always get this like, you know, you install the Bing toolbar at the top. I'm like, no. Bing, Bing toolbar? Mm-hmm. Edge. Install Edge or Bing no. Toolbar? Hold on, let me go back. Let me go look. I don't even think the Bing Toolbar was a thing. Sorry, breaking news from around the world. Get Microsoft News Extension for Chrome. Every single time I go to the graph ah, page. gotcha. Same thing as the Bing Toolbar. Yeah, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm, I don't get that on Edge. I'm still with it. I haven't flipped back to Chrome yet. I was going to ask you. It's going okay, actually. I don't have any complaints on my primary desktop. Oh, that says a lot. Anyway, I quite actually quite like the identity management part of it because I'm dealing with like four or five different Office 365 accounts you know, for test environments and dev environments and stuff. But anyway, I digress. Mm. Okay, you noticed some news this week, some rather big news. We've covered part of it on the podcast before about Oracle versus Google. Do you want to give us a summary of what's going on there? Absolutely. So back in episode 380, I talked a little bit about this. This was back in October of 2020. So just as a real quick summary to this, Oracle sued Google. I think this is going back like 10 years, but Oracle sued Google a long time ago. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to go into the real details of everything because this can take a while to explain. But for, in a nutshell, Google, when they built the Android mobile platform, it's all based on Java. But there are some concepts in the Java SDK or API. Sorry. Well, okay. It's the SDK, but the way it's done in the lawsuit, they call it an API that don't apply to a mobile platform. But there are things that have to be written, have to be done a certain way to make it work on a mobile platform. And so what Google did is they were, they took the inspiration from the from Java and they had to make a couple little, ch- some changes. It's all open source, but it made a couple little changes to the Java SDK in terms of the implementation. They use the same API, but they change the implementation in order to make it work on a mobile platform. It doesn't seem, at least from the stuff that I've read, it doesn't seem that they did it with a nefarious reason for it. They did it generally because this wasn't going to work unless we did this. So Oracle sued Google about 10 years ago for about $9 billion. And the case really went through the courts and there was Oracle One and then time when it was refused to be uh, go through appeals and then it finally was appealed and Google lost again. And then it went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, we don't want to hear the case. We're not going to listen. We're not going to listen to the arguments. But a new appeal had happened and then they did listen to it this time. Effectively, the well, in this past, uh, they listened to oral arguments. We had a link to it. If you go back in the show notes uh, for episode 380, you'll see I got links to articles about it and the oral arguments. I found the oral arguments to be really interesting. Listening yeah, I to listened the, to them after you suggested that. Yeah, It was really interesting. The court cited, pretty, it was a pretty one-sided ruling with only Amy Coney Barrett was the only one that abstained because she wasn't on the court when it oh, all went, right. when, yeah, gotcha. when the oral arguments happened. Oh, but it wasn't a tie. It was not a tie. It was like a okay. five to two or something like that. It was pretty one-sided. Pretty convincing. Yeah. Yeah. But they basically, and it, it came into the whole you know debate about you know fair use and not fair use and what is this limited to and not limited to. The court ultimately sided saying, nah, Google's fine. Oracle, we're, we're striking that ruling down. You can't declare that uh, an API or an SDK that you've published is copyrightable, that someone cannot take that and implement it 
on their own. That is, it's considered part of fair use. There was a very nuanced kind of like clarification on it because they wanted to make sure that their ruling only applied to software and APIs. And it didn't also apply to like newspapers and books and stuff like that. It was, it was very nuanced. And gotcha. I mean, it's very geeky and very technical, the way that they're legally technical. It was interesting though. Yeah. I like one comment in this in, in this Reuters article that we posted said that there, it was also a good technical case for getting the court sort of wrapping its getting to grips with the high tech sort of side of things. And that Justice Stephen Breyer, 82 years old, mm-hmm. who wrote the opinion, noted that companies' APIs organize computer tasks much like the Dewey Decimal System arranges library books. And I was like, yeah, okay, I guess it is kind of like that. So, you know, it's an interface that everybody understands if you're 82 years old. Um, <laughs> And you know how to find books in the library. I get it. You know how that API to the library works. Similar in this case. Yeah. So yep. interesting. Yeah. I'm personally glad to see it go this way for sure. I can't imagine what it would have done to the world if APIs couldn't be re-implemented in other ways for interoperability between things and calling from one thing to another and it'd just be all sorts of lawsuits would start flying. It's just interesting, right? Because, you know, Oracle, Java didn't come from Oracle. Java came from Sun. Oracle bought Sun and then Oracle started to be all very defensive about Java. So it was like, so now all these people that were, that were using Java in the past now have to be worried about Oracle kind of staking their claims and saying that, no, nobody else can do anything like build a JDK or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that can't possibly happen, right? No, I don't think so. So this ruling came out on April the 5th. Yeah. April the 6th, Microsoft came out with their own Java JDK. (laughs) (laughs) Building off the news. (laughs) The very next day, announcing preview of Microsoft build of OpenJDK. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess it's the Microsoft version of the Mm OpenJDK. They now feel pretty comfortable about releasing their version of it, I guess. I wonder how long this has been written and the guy guy that wrote the blog post had all this written. You got somebody in the Microsoft legal department's like, hey, just just hold on for a little bit. Let's just kind of see what happens here first to see if we got to, you know, we have to pay attention to anything. (laughs) Yeah, the blog's been written for like 12 years or something, I suspect. (laughs) The guy's probably left Microsoft He's probably working for Oracle now. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, go down and see his title. He's not a principal program manager for the Java engineering group at Microsoft. He's formerly at Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It waited so long. It waited so long he had to leave to get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's pretty comical. Now, I imagine Microsoft are doing this for things like Azure so that you can run Java applications and things like that in Azure on Microsoft's JDK. I'm not even sure if I'm using the right terms for Java developers out there, but um, I imagine that's why they're doing it. Yeah. Think so. uh, and they can obviously, you know, tweak it and whatnot to make it absolutely rock on their environments and in Azure and things like that. So, um, yeah, I guess it's been a while coming and it may have just been holding this back until the Supreme Court went yeah. and said it would be okay. Possibly, possibly. Hey, so I mentioned earlier that I'm like doing this internal project doing uh, that's going to require a bunch of like Azure resources. And it's kind of like a big data type project of slicing and dicing data and analytics and automation and all that stuff for my business. But I was poking around doing some research the last couple of days and reading up on a bunch of Azure products that I haven't, I wasn't as versed in as I, as I would like to be. And I came across this section in the Azure documentation or the Microsoft documentation, the Azure section. I found this, I got stuck in here for the better part of a day and a half. Hmm. And it was part just my, uh-oh, I fell in a rabbit hole. I recognized I fell in a rabbit hole 
but I decided to keep going. And I love what I found. Do you remember that book from, for all you people who are, you know, younger developers out there listening to the show? This part isn't for you. This is for people who are like CJ and I and older than us. Do you remember the Gang of Four? No. Apparently, the, no, the part of the show, this is for me and the people that are older than me. <laughs> Much older than me, not just CJ. The Gang of Four, the design patterns book. No, nope, never heard of it. Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to have to it's get it. It's probably one of those moments where I'm like really showing what an idiot underneath the surface I am for not knowing this. But um, yeah, fair enough. Oh, he's got one on his shelf. I do, absolutely. Oh, he's left the building. He's going to school me with a book. Let's see what he comes back with. This one. There he goes. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I didn't know it was called The Gang of Four. Well, okay. Eric Geimer. But Grady Booch follows me on Twitter. Does that help? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is... Forward. He did the forward for the book, by the way. He did. He did the forward for the book. But it's all this stuff. It's like all these old school, like, design patterns, like behavioral patterns, structural. It's all like computer design, programming design patterns. Now it's ringing a bell. Well, I obviously know about all the design patterns. I didn't put get the reference gang of four. Okay. I don't know what that was, but you're talking about okay. the four authors, I imagine. Yes. They're commonly referred to as the gang of four. And this book is like... Gotcha. This is like every developer is supposed to have one of these. It's yeah, like you, it's I may, you may not even use it, but you need to at least you need to have one. <laughs> yeah, I don't have one. I should get it though. I will find one. I, you will be, one's going to be showing up from Amazon for me, for you. Excellent. You're not a real developer if you don't have one, but... Here's what's cool. I found a spot inside of the Azure documentation about design patterns for cloud architectures, data management, data and implementation, messaging, and then they, they broke them down to those three different categories. And then they go through the entire a list of all the patterns, when you would actually use it, and a category of it, and then it shows the architecture of how everything kind of flows together. Cool. Right? So what would you do? What about a cache aside? What about a choreography, a circuit breaker, a claim check, CQRS? That's someone that people might be familiar with. Gatekeeper, federated identity, gateway aggregation. What's another one? Somebody be oh, materialized view. That's a that's a term I hadn't like this, the research I'm doing. I never heard materialized view, and then it dawned on me. I'm like, I've heard of this. I know what this is. Anyway, so I found these design patterns, and I was just like, oh, let me just see how these design patterns are being implemented with like with cloud based technologies and stuff. So I'm going through, scrolling through this. I'm like, this is really cool. And then I found something else. You remember last week when we were on the show or two weeks ago and I shared that link about from the Google Cloud platform and it said, here are all of the AWS equivalent services and here are all the GC yes. or all the Azure equivalent services? Yeah. And do you remember when I said, it would be, wouldn't it be nice if we had something like that, but it's not it's in nobody else's best interest to do that? Yeah. In the same place, I found a spot that has the links for, here's Azure for AWS professionals. Here's Azure huh. for GCP professionals. And so it does the exact same thing that I was talking about. And, and having a list of like, here's what this is. When you comparison of all the services, if you're familiar with this Google Cloud Platform service, here's what it is inside of Azure. If you're familiar with this AWS service, here's what it is inside of Azure. These two links are now in my list of, I have like a, a work subfolder in my bookmark bar. These two are now in there because now when I hear something from like Azure or from AWS or from GCP, I know the Azure services, and I'm like, so what's the equivalent there? Okay, they have something like, we have Azure Marketplace. What do they have? Oh, they have the GCP Marketplace. That's pretty easy. Azure has HD Insight. What is that over in GCP? Yeah. Oh, it's Dataproc. Like, oh, okay. So at least it's kind of like my, what's that translation thing? Rosetta Stone. Yeah. For the different cloud platforms. Yeah, gotcha. It'll do a Babel, like a Babel, like a Babelfish type thing. Yeah. Nice. I was so pumped to find it. 
I don't know. Those three links made me so happy. That is really cool. And definitely loving this link to the design patterns piece as well, Mm -hmm. especially around messaging, like it's such an important part of um, building cloud services and things that uh, we could all do with a refresher on common patterns to do certain things and not reinventing the wheel. Agreed. Speaking of interesting new ways to do things, Azure Functions has been named a leader in the Forrester Wave Function as a Service platform Q1 2021 wave report. Wow. So if you're into re- bedtime reading from Forrester, you can go and get the FAS report. Mm. Q1 2021. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's in fairness, like Azure Functions has come such a long way in the last few years mm-hmm. with things like durable functions and just the, even just, I've just noticed even simple things like, you know, the speed at which they run and sort of the development experience around them mm-hmm. has really improved and and uh, I quite like them. I do too. I spent some time this past week with a thing I'm working on. I was like, I know I'm going to have to write some functions and I refuse to do them in the browser experience. So they have to be CI and CD from the get-go, got to be yeah. tested and all that. And so I went through and built all my stuff to to do that and to do all the automated deployment and changing app settings on my function app on the fly as part of my deployment. So make sure the version number's in there so when that gets logged, it's... It's cool. It's really cool. That's cool. Uh, Final bit of news before we move on. If anybody is following a thing called Project Reunion, Project Reunion 0.5 is out. And if you're not familiar with Project Reunion, my understanding of it is, is it's a toolkit to make it easier to have apps that rely on all the APIs in Windows, like Win32 apps and more modern APIs, sorry, Win32 APIs, more modern APIs and bringing them up to speed on newer versions of Windows and stuff so that you can continue to maintain compatibility. That's my understanding of it anyway. Their website is a abomination of inability to tell you what it does. Like even the GitHub project, <laughs> it's quite interesting. Like you have to really dig in to go find out like, what does it do? Things like that. So anyway, if you're building apps for Windows, I believe that this is really targeted at you for things like Win32, WPF, UWP apps, WinForms. Maybe it's Microsoft's way of trying to fix all the conundrum of APIs and app types that we've had over the last few years. Few, I mean 10. What does that mean when they finish this? They're going to go over to the SharePoint development platform and do the exact same thing? No, that's a lost cause, buddy. No more of that. But yeah, I think that's what this is for. This is interesting. So I couldn't understand what this was. So your description of it was very helpful. I can understand how important this is for Microsoft and for a lot of ISVs. Like they talk about a growing ecosystem of other vendors that are using this mm. between Telerik and Syncfusion, Infogistics, Grape City, DevExpress, OctiPro. I can see why people would want this. Mm. It just looks like a project that is like super valuable to a lot of people, but is so unsexy and exciting to work on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure if you care about this, it is like the most exciting thing, right? If you're into it. I hate to say this. And I don't mean to just look. Well, I do mean to say it because I'm going to say it. But it, it just feels like it's such a one of the most boring things you could possibly work on. But it would also be one of the most rewarding things that for Microsoft and like beneficial things that they could do. Look back on it and go like, look what somebody built. It's like, oh my God, that was a significant amount of work, but you won't believe the benefit that you did. And he's like, yeah, it was not fun at all. You know, if you're an app developer and you've got a problem and you're searching around the internet and then you come across this, this would be your happiest day. Oh yeah. If it was a problem, if you had a problem that this solved. 
it's just kind of one of those things that you'd be like, oh, okay, now we can actually continue as opposed to being stuck dead in the water. Mm-hmm. Project Reunion empowers all Windows apps, not just UWP, with modern Windows UI, APIs, and platform features, including back compat support, shipped via Nougat. Mm-hmm. Right, on with the show. Shall we go and do some picks? ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, I see. This one is no surprise. What have you got for us this week? I am <laughs> so happy. You know what? Tonight, when we get off doing this episode, I really should just wrap up, go downstairs, and start prepping the wiring and stuff that I need to do for the rest of my son's backup camera when he gets home from swim practice so I can just get this done tonight. But I don't think it's going to happen because today, my Lego NASA spatial discovery set just showed up. It went live, available for ordering on uh, April the 1st. Yeah. People were asking, you going to stay up all night to do this? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to stay up all night. And right before, I was like, I was so tired at about 8 o'clock that night. I'm like, I'm not staying up for another four hours to order this when it goes, when it goes, um, when it's available. Yeah. Someone said, did you stay up late and get in order? I'm like, no, I got it. What, did you just wake up and get it? I was like, yeah. I mean, I might have woken up at 4.30 to place my order, but I did, I did just go ahead and get up and order it it showed up i'm so i'm very happy i'm very happy it showed up 2300 pieces it's got a hubble inside it's got the hubble telescope inside of it it's got a cool little mount although i'm really hoping that the guy that i bought mount uh 3d printed mounts for for his wall i'm really hoping he's got this one coming of course they will of course they they got to i this and hubble have to be hanging out there so that i can i gotta move iss around to my wall a little bit Totally a work, but nice. I got to do it. I have one coming, and I'm extremely excited about building this one. It's going to sit sit alongside my other shuttle and uh, Saturn V and all of that, and look awesome. I'm going to have to. I've made a decision though around my Lego life. I am going to only focus on space Lego from here out. I've got a bunch of Star Wars Lego. I've got an AT-AT walker from like quite a while back that sits on my shelf, sits on my thing behind me over there. And I need to make more room in my life for more space Lego. I don't think that's a bad decision. I've kind of gone the same route with an exception to where I'll do the space and I'll do the cars. Yeah, yeah, cars, yeah. The nice cars, like the ones that are like the good Technic set. Yeah. The Porsche, the Bugatti, and the Lamborghini are the three that I'm thinking of because of, they're kind of like right behind me in the video that when we're looking at each other. Yeah. <laughs> They're like the Lego, those are the Lego that I look at the most, the ones that are behind me, because whenever I do video calls, I always see them. I'm like, I'm not looking at me. I just keep like, oh, I love that Lamborghini. I love that Porsche. Yeah, I have that Porsche in a box, never opened. But um, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to have to make more room for more space Lego. So the Star Wars stuff will probably have to go. Here's a little bit of trivia for you. Someone was giving me grief about ordering this. You know, the start, so you have the Expedition shuttle, right? Yes, but there are multiple variants of it with different set numbers and the slight differences between them. Yeah. The one with the lights pointing up at it. Yes. It actually has a satellite inside of it, a small satellite. Yes. Okay. Do you remember what you paid for that originally? I think it was like 100 bucks, 120. I think it was about 125 is what I remember. You know what it's yeah. going for now on eBay? Five or 600? A grand. Wow, really? You can kind of see him on the video for me, but the little Curiosity rover on the top right of my shelf. Yeah. He's little, like maybe 100 pieces, 150 pieces. Yeah. 500 bucks right now. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. So I was getting grief from somebody like going, why'd you, why do you buy that stuff? It's so damn expensive. I'm like, it's kind of an investment, but it's also like, I mean, it's an investment. Like you can't get money for these things. So I give him those two stories. I'm like, Saturn V, still have two of those. 
they're no longer selling them now. They're going for, they were 125, I think. And they're now going for like 160 on eBay. Oh, they're not selling them anymore? Somebody told me that the other day, but they are going for like 160 on eBay, so. Wow, huh. Yeah, I know the um, the Porsche you've got sitting on your thing, the one that I've got in a box sealed and unopened. I think those were like, was it like 200 new, something like that? Yeah. I think now they're like six 650, something like that. Oh, man. The one that I missed out on, though, was when I first arrived in the United States in 2007, and I went into the Bellevue Mall, into the Lego store, and I saw the Ultimate Collectors series Millennium Falcon, the one before the last one that came out. And it was 400 bucks, and I was like, yeah, I should buy that. And I didn't, and now they're like 10 grand. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who has six of them. Whoa. Oh, my goodness. He bought seven or eight of them. They're still in the cardboard box, not like the Lego yeah. box, but the in the box outer, in the box. Yeah, they're wow. in the box in the box. Fully mint. He bought, he bought seven or eight of them. He built one. He sold one soon after he got it, held on to the other ones. He mentioned it to me about three years ago on Facebook that he had them. I was like, are you kidding me? How much you want for one? I totally get it. He's like, you sure? I'm like, totally. He's like, go check eBay real quick. I go check eBay. I'm like, Whoa. are you, are you <laughs> what, so are you, are you familiar with what it is on eBay? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, are you thinking? He goes, I'm thinking the same thing. And I'm like, I, I just love the idea of having one now. I don't want to go yeah. buy one. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be an exception to my new Star Wars rule. If I had the opportunity to inherit one of those. <laughs> I was going to ask you. buy one? I don't I think. Was gonna, seems like a lot of money. When you just said that a second ago, I was like, but what if it was a Millennium Falcon? That's different, man. And not a, but the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, that's not just Star Wars Lego. That's a lifestyle. How about you? What do you got for us today? You know how I was nerding out about, well, talking about nerding out about soil? Yes. Or lawns? We put in a new lawn last year after doing a whole bunch of backyard stuff. And I'm determined to have a decent lawn moving forward. And because we live in a very wet area of the country, through winter, a lot of things change in your soil and things happen. And a lot of it is not conducive to growing grass for long periods of time of the year. So um, now that we're coming into spring, spring is on the way and summer is approaching. I wanted a good lawn. So the first thing I do is go and do a soil test. And I found a kit you can go and get. It's called, or you can go to their website. It's called mysoiltesting.com. And you can actually buy the kit on Amazon. And really all it is that arrives is a little box. And it's got a little a little plastic, not a bottle, but a little a little jar, I guess. A little plastic jar. So you go into your backyard and it's got water in the jar already. It's got deionized water or something, I don't know. And um, you go in the backyard and you dig up soil samples from around your yard and you mix the soil together. And then they give you a little scoop and you put it in this water, seal the lid, pop it in the post... And five days later, you go online and they tell you your soil report. And it's got all sorts of stuff in it about your various levels, like your pH of your soil, your nitrogen levels, your phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, calcium, magnesium, sodium, iron, manganese, zinc, etc. And you can check the health of your soil and know what needs, what needs doing. So, for example, ours is incredibly low on total nitrogen, which is really important for plant growth. Mm -hmm. And so I need to go and correct for that. With a, And obviously the way you do that was with a fertilizer with high in nitrogen. Mm -hmm. But there's all sorts of different fertilizers, as it turns out, and you can get ones that only have high in nitrogen, right? that don't have a bunch of other things that you might not need. And so you can get your levels of your soil right 
for optimal growing. This is, I posted my report on my Facebook page if you want to take a look at it. <laughs> I'm actually really interested in this because I'm very, I have grass envy with different people in my neighborhood. Mm. I fight my dogs for control over my backyard, putting up like temporary fencing so that they're not creating paths all over the place and stuff. And my entire family and all of our guests laugh at me for doing it. But it's just a, it's a thing that our, my dogs are going to be, I'm going to eventually win because I'm going to outlive them. But it's still, <laughs> but I'm, I'm determined to show them that I win before that that eventuality comes to pass. But Yeah, so I'll keep you tuned into how my lawn goes this year, but I'm going to course correct it and see how we get on. And first things first is adding a ton of nitrogen. Do you test the front yard separately from the backyard? No, I've only done the backyard. But you test, in the backyard you take, well, I took samples from like three different areas and then you mix all the soil together and then it gives you sort of an average for your yard, you know? You got to assume that the front yard is the same as the backyard because it's all like same area, same water. Close enough, yeah. I mean, people that get really nerdy about it do it separately, but I didn't want to spend that much money on that sort of thing. I've been known... No, never mind. Yeah. I'm surprised how cheap this is. <laughs> the test kit's only 30 bucks. It's 30 bucks. That includes postage and all that sort of stuff. But the true lawn nerds, uh, out there, if you go onto Lawn Care, the, the subreddit Lawn Care, you'll find these these super nerds. It's quite a good quite a good place. It is. I am actually I subscribe to it. Yeah. <laughs> there are there are what do they call them? A call in the United States, they're called county extension offices, which are like where the local universities work with the county, and they have an office they've set up where they do things like soil testing, and so you can get a soil test done for six bucks or 10 bucks at a county extension office if you don't want to pay 30 and have the convenience of them mailing it to you and then you mailing it back to them. Huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah this man. wouldn't be so this would not be nearly as attractive to me if I didn't live in the in the states where where mail is collected from your letterbox. Like New Zealand that's not a thing. You have to go to a mailbox and put no, yeah, the posties don't pick up mail from your house. In New Zealand. Huh. They only deliver it. Oh, okay. I never realized that until I moved here that that was a thing. <laughs> but it's very convenient when you've got to mail something. It is. Yeah. This is interesting, man. Yeah. My wife is going to kill me if I do this. Do it. Do it. Do it. Blame I mean, me. I already got it. I already got a Lego <laughs> pastor, so. <laughs> yeah. She's she's in the weak strike zone right now. Strike while the iron is hot, AC. Exactly. <laughs> Get a soil test kit in there. Exactly. Oh, man. All right. We've covered some good stuff. We've got Azure. We found Build. We found the Java JDK from Microsoft the day after the SCOTUS ruling on Oracle versus Google. Bunch of design patterns. Server immersions, design patterns. Found a way to make crypto, uh, do crypto mining on GitHub's dime. Yeah, and space shuttles and uh, soil. Who knew? We covered so much ground. We found a lot of stuff. Screw you, 404. Yeah, we did. We found it all. <laughs> all right, AC, have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. You do the same, bud. Good to talk to you. See ya. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode, as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.